Hey guys, welcome into the Corked Up podcast. Uh, just Frank and Jack this week. Nas decided to, to take a week off uh, after just suffering a lot of humiliation on the last episode. <laughs> I hope he listens to this and he's just like, man, I'm never going on that fucking podcast again. <laughs> um, no, we, we appreciate you guys jumping on. Uh, you know, I, I texted Frank during the week and I was like, should we just make this our Jay Cutler episode? And, you know, Frank couldn't help himself but say yes. Um, you know, a couple of things that I want to get out there before we get too deep in the podcast, Frank, uh, for anyone listening, uh, or watching my, my dog just had surgery on his leg to get a growth removed. So, uh, he's doing fine. He's a little looped up. I'm just going to keep my eye on him during the podcast. So if you hear me yelling at him or turning or anything like that, and you're questioning why is it, what is going on that that's why. So just upfront right away, Frankie, cause that's what our listeners expect from us. Honesty. Absolute trans honesty, transparency, and good takes. That's it. And good, yeah, the best takes, zero bad takes at all. Uh, now let me what let me Frank, tell you why Jay Cutler's a Hall of Famer. Point one. <laughs> <laughs> Point A B C D. Uh, no, so we we are definitely going to talk some Jay Cutler. Um, we were you know just going to kind of jump in right away, but. Uh, you know, we, we got some Matt Nagy commentary today. Um, and then, Frank, there is one other thing that I, that I kind of wanted to get your opinion on. I didn't see if we got an update to that story. So, um, you know, I, I just I want your blind opinion on it. So so we'll get there in a second. Um, so, yeah. So Matt Nagy talked today. Uh, mandatory team OTAs started um, for a lot of teams, actually. I think Jamal Adams, is he decided to sit out. Um, there were a couple other guys who, you know, Byron Howard or right. I think, I think Xavier Howard, um, maybe skipped out, um, kind of some big name guys. Uh, I think the Jamal Adams one is definitely big for the Seahawks because of what they traded for him. Um, but we got some good news. Allen Robinson on a, on a tag showed up, um, day one. So I thought that was that that's gigantic. I think for the bears, um, and he was asked, by Chris Collinsworth in an uh, in an interview, if Andy Dalton is the starter, and he confirmed he's that's the plan. You know, there's not no realistic shot. Justin Fields starts Week One. Uh, so Frank, before I give my thoughts on that, um, what were you, what were your initial reactions? Are you surprised? Are you disappointed? Where are you kind of at with this right now? I'm not surprised. I guess I'm surprised in the way he worded it. I'm not surprised at the philosophy. You know, he he talks a lot about Patrick Mahomes because he was there in that first year when he only started week 17 once the Chiefs had already wrapped up that division and they just kind of wanted to give him some in-game reps. So I, I understand that he is, you know, on board with taking it slow with young quarterbacks, which I'm OK with. But I think the wording of it, like there's no pot, there's nothing in the world that can happen that Justin Fields starts week one. I think that sort of wording took me by surprise because it made me question like what if Andy Dalton gets hurt does that mean Nick Foles is starting week one if Foles gets hurt in training camp or in the preseason you know what I mean like is is Justin Fields going in as the third quarterback which I don't think is is the worst thing I, I mean if he sits three four five weeks I mean because th- we've said this when we draft I don't remember if it was the emergency episode or the, or, or the official episode after that if he sits the whole season, that's probably a good sign. That means Andy Dalton's doing really well and we're on our way to the playoffs. You know, and and someone someone worded this 
much better than my brain did sort of processing everything. And I think this is what I feel about it. Matt Nagy knows that if he pulls Andy Dalton in week five for Justin Fields, the fan base will be okay with that. He also knows on the flip side of that, that if he starts Justin Fields and he's struggling and he pulls Justin Fields in week five or week six, that's a bad look. That looks like a directionless football team. And I think that take is very good. But that was my question that I had for you, though, with him framing it as like there's no possible way he starts week one. Do you think that means Nick Foles is the official backup like he would start then? I think I think from what we've seen, I, I think Nick Foles is almost as good as gone, if I'm being completely honest with you. Like, I think the Eagle, I, I've seen a lot about, um, I think the Eagles or the Jets. I think it was the Jets. They're looking for a backup behind Zach Wilson. So um, obviously the Bears have made him available at this point. I'm fine if they get like a fucking sixth round, seventh round pick, something for him. Just going to get him out of here. There's there's no value uh, to having him on the team. Hey, see, that's what I'm talking about. He's 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 up to no good. Uh, There's no value to having him on this roster. So, um, you know, get Justin Fields back there. And and Frank, just for context, like I'm going to I'm going to give you my quick thoughts on on this situation. I don't think it's anything too serious, so I don't want to spend, you know, half an hour on it and then half an hour on the Cutler stuff like to me, it's not surprising at all. And anyone who is surprised or, you know, stunned or like, you know, cussing out Matt Nagy, like, how could you fucking do this? He's your first round pick, like, blah, blah, blah. It's June 15th. Like, of course, that's what Matt Nagy is going to say. If the plan for some reason is to start Justin Fields week one in L.A. on Sunday Night Football, like, I already think that's we've, – we've talked about it. It seems a little absurd to even think that that's the the possibility of week one is starting Justin Fields. But to for people who are getting mad at Matt Nagy, like, oh, how could you commit to Andy Dalton? Like, he's not good, blah, blah, blah. It's June 15th. Why would Matt Nagy give away the plan to start Justin Fields if that's what's going to happen? I, I, was, I was curious about, like, what type of situation this is. And it makes me think about uh, – it always makes me think about – Matt Flynn signing with the Seahawks in 2012. He throws the six touchdown game, gets that fucking massive contract, three years, $26 million deal. Like that's, that's a lot of money. And it's not exactly the same because I think people didn't expect Russell Wilson to be the starter. He got drafted in the third round. You know, maybe he's a guy, a developmental guy. Like, no, he, you know, came in and balled out. This is an article by NFL.com on May 28th of t- 2012. Matt Flynn looks like the best QB for, for the Seattle Seahawks. And they had a three-man uh, competition going on. And Matt Flynn, oh, he's the starter. No doubt about it. You have Bleacher Report article around the same time saying that Matt Flynn is the no doubt, like 100% starter for the Seahawks in 2012. And then they started playing preseason games. And everyone's like, man, how the fuck do you sit Russell Wilson? Like, you can't. <laughs> so for anyone who's, like, disappointed by this news um, that this team is just that committed to Andy Dalton, yes, there is a certain degree, you know, they paid him money. They want him to start. But it's June 15th. Nothing is locked in at this point. The Bears love to they're, – they're definitely one of those teams right now that love to be – 
secretive. They like to to keep their their cards close to the vest. Like they aren't just going to come out in the middle of June before anything has really started and be like, "Yep, Justin Fields, week one, let's go." Like, come on, come on, guys. We're we're smarter than that. I but I I think there's a there's part of it is that. I also think they legitimately signed Andy Dalton knowing there'd be a young guy behind him that he would start mm-hmm. in front of for X amount of games, if not the whole year, if he's having success. But again, I think that that's what it goes back to the wording of it. Like I'm all in favor of Justin Fields sitting for half the season. If that means him soaking up more knowledge and kind of seeing what it looks like from the sidelines. But if he 100% beats yeah. out everyone, you can't just because he's young say no. That, and that was why I said the wording of it was just weird because I'm all for sitting a guy for eight games, a year, four games, whatever it is. But if it just like you use Russell, uh, Russell Wilson as the reference point, if he is beating this guy out with like, there are some meatball fans, I get it. But like the ones who know what we're seeing, you can't, you can't piss on us and tell us it's raining. Like you just can't do right. that, you know? So we'll see, we'll see what happens. But I, I, I genuinely do think that is the plan right now for Dalton to start and then once they do feel that Justin Fields is ready, I mean, because that's the thing, just like you said, they're not telling us what the plan actually is. They're setting goals for Justin Fields. He knows what it's going to take for him to start. They're, yeah. they're giving him benchmarks 100%. You know, well, I think and- the other thing, really the only other thought, and this is my last thought, and I'll throw it to you before we get to the J stuff, um, is that I also think people are, are looking at, at this as sort of a, um, you know, win or go home season for Nagy. But I think just like we said in the past, this pick I think has, has gotten him this year and next year at the very least. So there yeah. is no sense of urgency to get the, the more talented person in right now. It, it's, you know, it's going to be who he feels ha- has a better chance of winning. Well, and, and to your point, what, what I would be curious about is, yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I do think they signed Andy Dalton believing that they would be trading up to get a young quarterback. Like, whether it's Mac Jones, whether it's Trey Lance, if, if he falls, if the 49ers go with Mac Jones at three, like, you know, depending on who fell, things like that. I do wonder, though, how does drafting Justin Fields, if that changes it at all for them? Because they signed Andy Dalton to be a starter, to be a mentor to a young guy. But did they know that it would be Justin Fields? Part of me feels like no. Right. Because like if it's Mac Jones, uh, Frank, you and I, I, I don't think either one of us is or Kellen Mond or Kyle Trask or something like that. I don't think you or I are, are that upset that Andy Dalton is starting week one. Right. Like we're not. But this is Justin Fields, man. This is like this is different. This is this is a legit shot. This is like RG3 starting in Washington. Like, how do you keep this guy away from the starting position? Like I. I so it's, it, it, that makes me kind of wonder that. Um, and then I know that we saw, we were taking a look uh, and we saw that Eddie Goldman, I, I don't know if you saw this, Frank, he was an unexcused absence uh, from I the didn't OTAs know. today. How the hell did I miss uh, that? Yeah, so he missed all of last year. He was an opt out for COVID. Um, you know, I, I just don't think there's anything really to, there, no one's going to blame him for that. I certainly don't. Guys yeah. skip out. That's that's totally fine. But, Frank, what do you think about Eddie Goldman missing day one? And I'm, I'm taking a look here. Um, Brad Biggs, the last thing he said was Matt Nagy made it clear Eddie Goldman's absence from mandatory minicamp is unexcused. Wow. Um, 
he said there was this discussion with nose tackle Eddie Goldman. Um, so a I mean, little it's, surprising. A little it's surprising. Very surprising. I mean, it's especially because he got paid the year before he sat out due to COVID. And again, you know, I'm not. I have no wild take about him sitting out for COVID. It was a very serious thing, and 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 quite a few people. I I wouldn't have been mad if sports just paused. You know what I mean? Like this is, yeah, you know, a, a, a very serious virus that we were dealing with. Um, but I will say this: Damian Williams talked about his experience sitting out and then coming back and saying like, I do feel like I didn't necessarily have the the same amount of opportunities. Like that was why I was really happy that Nagy signed me because it was familiarity. Like I get to go out and just play, but you know, so Eddie Goldman coming off of that and then, you know, having a, a unexcused absence, I'm, I, that's a bad look. It's just a really bad look. Yeah. Yeah. And especially with Allen Robinson, showing up on a on a one-year deal it it you know we, we we've definitely talked about this and I, I i agree with you i don't think this is a one-year season for pace or naggy like i think the fields thing really did change it but don't you almost feel like even if it's not they have a lot to prove this year and they need everyone on deck they need cleo max another year older Right. They they don't they're getting Tariq Cohen back from injury. They they let Kyle Fuller go like there's a lot of change. And to see that Eddie Goldman didn't show up day one when the team, you know, understood where he was coming from last year. They paid him his money. Like to me, that's I just I and, and Matt Nagy, I think, has every right to be disappointed because Eddie Goldman just doesn't seem like that type of dude with the diva type, you know, to to worry about money or you know, just stay away from the team on purpose. Like, I really would be curious to learn a little bit more. We, we haven't gotten a ton of information about it. Like, I, I've been trying to find stuff all day, all day since I saw it, and that's really the only couple things that I've seen to this point. So, I don't know, man. It's, it's strange. It's, it's a little disappointing. It's a little yeah. disappointing for sure. I mean, let's just hope it was a miscommunication of some point. Because like you said, he he's never come across as someone who was unhappy or would, like, do anything to to harm the team so I, yeah i don't know i'm puzzled especially with no news coming out it's uh we'll see I, I i mean maybe with him sitting out and seeing it from a fan's point of view maybe he's a little upset with Nagy and pace and thought there was going to be a change i mean i don't know i mean this is pure speculation yeah. again it could yeah. be a miscommunication it could have been whatever well, but and and you know the, the questionable thing on, on that and you just brought up the the new the the point or just brought up a new point for me it's like you know we heard that chuck pagano wasn't the guy right and the, and the whole selling point to the new dc was that all oh, players fucking love him they love mm-hmm. the system he runs he's like a mini you know he's like a young fangio and then to not show up day one like ah this is not a <laughs> it's yeah. not a good luck for the goal we'll but, see uh, yeah that, that that's interesting yeah so speaking of of Guys who maybe didn't look that great, um, you know, in terms of personality, in terms of off the field stuff, on the field stuff, uh, a very divisive player. I would argue, Frank, maybe the most divisive player in Bears history, at least in our lifetime. Yes. And it's not even close. Uh, I remember one of the first times we met Frank was uh, at our uh, job we were working at. It's the first time we'd ever met. It was June. Bears had just drafted Mitch Trubisky. Uh, 
you know, and, and we were going a little back and forth. You know, I was getting your thoughts on it. You were getting my thoughts. Um, and y- you came off as a big Jay Cutler fan, man. And and we, we had a good discussion about that, I thought. And just over the course of the last couple of years, I've, I've seen a lot of people, you know, oh, if the Bears had had Jay Cutler in 2018, they win the Super Bowl. Oh, my God, Jay Cutler. Mitch Trubisky is way better than Jay Cutler. Just a very divisive player. A lot, of, a lot of people have a lot of different feelings, Frank. As a Jay Cutler supporter, I feel like that's fair to call you. Yeah. Well, why? Why are you? What is it about him? Do you, what, what is it? Why is he the best Bears quarterback in, in franchise history besides Justin Fields at this point? Well, I mean, statistically speaking, he's like light years above everybody. So there, there's that, which to a degree may not be saying much to a quarterback graveyard, but you know, he he was a bear from 2009, so 2009 to 2016, so eight seasons. Um, and I'm I, I'm a gunslinger guy, man. I just I mean, when when I think back on my childhood and I was really falling in love with football, I watched the Bears for defense. Always been a Bears fan, loved them. But I would look around the league and I took a really big liking to Brett Favre even though he was a Packer, like I, I didn't get the rivalry thing. I was like six or seven years. I'm a kid. You know what I mean? So I didn't really fully. And just seeing this guy, like, I mean, there were games where he would throw three picks and he just would keep slinging it. And I'm like, I love that. <laughs> and, and that's exactly why I like Jameis Winston today. Like these guys are not short of confidence. They have the arm to make every throw and that can sometimes get them in trouble. Those guys are fun to watch and, and say what you will about Jay people love him. People hate him. He made the Bears fun for probably six of those eight years because he was yeah. going to win you the game or lose you the game. And there was no in between. Right. And um, that being said, I'm I, I feel like I'm like this with a lot of things, but I'm not just a complete homer for Jay. I think we're going to talk about some of the downsides of not only his play style, but maybe him as a person or not as a person, but a, as a leader, you know, him as a decision maker. So I, I don't think it was all, you know, like he, he was just so amazing. He's the best quarterback we'd ever seen. And my, my take is simply this. And I, I, there's some narratives that I, I want your thoughts on and, and that I think I want to attack to a certain degree. My take is that I think there are only two franchises in the NFL, maybe three with the Jets, but two for sure. That could have done to Jay Cutler what the Bears did to Jay Cutler. One is the Bears because they did it. And two was the Cleveland Browns. I mean, because, and, and I just want to set it up with this. So I, I looked, I went, jotted down all the stats, went through, looked through a bunch of stuff because I want to make sure I had my shit together for this episode. You had a kid who was the 11th overall pick. His first year starting was year two because he started midway year through year one. You just throw that one out the window. It was an okay season. Year one in a Mike Shanahan offense, he throws for 3,500 yards, 20 touchdowns, 14 picks. You, you, you want the picks down. That, that That's one of his downsides is that he turned the ball over a lot. He's a gunslinger. Year three, he throws for 4,500 yards, 25 touchdowns, 18 picks. Again, the picks are too high, but you see the talent oozing out of this fucking guy's ears. Supremely talented with his arm and his legs. Decision-making is a little up and down. He gets to the Bears, and we're treating this three-year quarterback like we just got an eight-year veteran who's won a couple Super Bowls, and he's supposed to make everyone better around him. He didn't need any more development. Just throw him out there with the supporting cast that he had before I continue on. Cause I don't want to go through the whole timeline where we're at right there. 
One, what are your general thoughts about Jay? And then two, to that point, when he gets traded to the Bears going into year four of his career, what were your what, what was your like takeaway? Were you excited? Did you hate it? Were you wait and see mode? Where were you at with that? Yeah, so overall thoughts on, on Jay Cutler. I think he gets a lot of undeserved hate from Bears fans because I, I just I don't get it, man. Like I I'm not the I'm not the biggest Jay Cutler fan. Like I, I think you're right. I think there were too many games where he would just try to force everything and like you like that mentality where it's you know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna win this game with my arm. I'm gonna throw every this pass is gonna be perfect, you know. But like then you get stuff like the D'Angelo Hall game where you're like, Jay, <laughs> fucking stop. Like just stop. You're not like like and but then you get the games I I can't remember what year it was. I think it was 2012 where they're playing the the Vikings. Yeah, because it must have been because because Martellus Bennett was was a bear, and he comes back and you're just like you're fucking like man this guy is fucking where is this like why can't he do this? It's just he's he was just so inconsistent. But I I didn't really get why Bears fans hated him so much because like they called him a crybaby or like they they didn't like his. You know the way the way he powered on the side, but dude, the the dude was tough as hell, man. Like yep. he would get knocked the fuck down. Some of the worst offensive lines of all time, and he took it like a fucking champ and and kept playing. Like I, I don't know. I, Jay Cutler is is such an enigma to me. Like it is so weird how he's just had this such like. And I feel like it didn't really get covered the way that it should have, like around the national media in terms of just Jay Cutler was a fascinating player. He definitely elevated the Bears at at a court, at the quarterback position. Like, you, you can't argue that. There was a lot worse options. You see what happens when he goes down with an injury and then it's, you know, Caleb Haney comes in the game. Todd Collins comes in the game. Like, all these just fucking bu- – Jason Campbell. Like, just these bums. And you see the talent gap. And you know Cutler can be good, but then he just has these fucking weird games where he just plays like ass. Like, it it was weird. It was definitely a ride. Um, and I don't want to go too far down because I know we'll get to it. But at the time of the trade, I got to be honest, Frank, I didn't really give a shit. Uh, you know, this is 2009. I'm a freshman in high school, like, or going into my sophomore year, I believe. Um and I mean, this was this was Pete Colts. Like, this is when they're undefeated. This is they're on top of the fucking world. I was all in on the Colts. I hadn't been a Bears fan for a while. Um, so when the trade happened, I was like, I, I mean, it's cool that they're getting a, a Pro Bowl quarterback. Like, let's see what he can fucking do. The trade was huge at the time. No, no two ways about it. I was also partial to, uh, uh, to I was always partial to Kyle Orton, Frank. I mean, I, I love the guy. So, I mean, I didn't love the trade, but I, I thought it was good. You know, I felt like they gave up a lot, but the guy had just been to a Pro Bowl, 4,500 yards. Obviously, the Bears haven't <laughs> haven't had a guy throw 4,000 yards in quite some time. So, I was I was intrigued. I'll I'll say that I was definitely intrigued by the the by the trade for sure. Yep. No, I, I mean, I, I was ecstatic. And it could have been anyone, like just someone. You, we hadn't had a quarterback my yeah. whole life. I mean, you're talking about the – I grew up – I mean, we both of us grew up watching like Jim Miller and Craig Krenzel and Cordell Stewart and Henry Burr. I mean, it just awful names. I, I mean, you go down the list. So it was like to get someone that with this – because even like talent-wise, 
we never had anyone with this that sort of talent before, right? So it was like, yeah. You, yeah. W- whether he sinks or, or or you know or swims, like this is gonna be this is gonna be fun. So I want to continue on. So the the one thing I did want to touch on, I think the one thing that he got a lot of clout for that I I totally disagreed with were sort of like the pouting or the 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 body language stuff or sometimes it looked like he didn't care to a degree he is a more nonchalant guy so i think that's part of his personality but there were games where like where is like people would be like where is his energy like national announcers are calling him out and it's like he's a type one diabetic like sometimes that just happens with with that like i have diabetics in my family and i just would be around them sometimes and they would just be like almost zombies they just like kind of be watching something kind of got to make sure they're breathing every now and then if they're older and it, like that is just a real thing. Maybe I'm throwing my cape on a little bit there. He could. There were certain situations where I would like to see better leadership from him, but the sort of the no energy, sort of slouching type of thing, I had seen that in my own personal life from diabetics. So I didn't like, I guess maybe I, I just sort of, once I learned he was diabetic, I was like, oh, that makes a lot more sense. When it was yeah. first happening, you're like, damn, like, does he not want to be here? Like, what's wrong? What's going on? And when you learn that, that, that's when it sort of shifted for me. But I want to keep going here. So 29 or 2009, 2010, and 2011. His wide receivers were Devin Hester, Earl Bennett, Johnny Knox, and Roy Williams, who we got from uh, the Dallas Cowboys being cut. That was the year the... um, Marion Barber. Well, the Marion Barber, but there there was that big clause where you got to like cut a player and like pay him no salary. I forget what it was called. Uh, And Roy Williams was our big acquisition. That was the guy that was supposed to get us hyped up. His favorite target and probably best receiver we've had to that point in our lives was Greg Olson, the tight end. And uh, Mike Marks decided that he didn't like to use tight ends, even though he could have lined him up outside because he was that athletic. Like He could have just did that, but he decided not to. He goes to Carolina. His stat lines with abysmal offensive lines. Well, no, actually the first couple of years they were good offensive lines because Forte was running the ball very well. Um, First two years, really good offensive line, just piss poor weapons. First year, 3,700 yards, 27 touchdowns, 26 picks. Again, the picks are way too high there. Second year, 3,200 yards. They, hit, they, they they ran the ball a lot more his second year. 23 touchdowns, 16 picks. Again, picks are too high. Here's where things start to shift. And, and this is, um, I want to introduce to everyone one of my narratives that I hated. And, and we're going to go more in depth once we go through the full timeline. The narrative that Jay Cutler got offensive coordinators fired. His first two years were with Ron Turner, who is an okay OC, he, you know, mid, mid, middle of the road type of guy. But if you, well, I don't know if you remember, if, if you were a little bit checked out because you were, you were riding more with the Colts at that point, that was one of the first times I remember because my dad was like, here we fucking go, going back to the past again because Ron Turner was our OC in like 93 or something. I mean, it was, it was like hiring Tony La Russa again. It was just like, come on, like bring on the old school, bring on the skipper. He, he's ready to do it again yeah. 12 years later. Yeah. And it was just like, come on, dude. Like, what are we doing right now? You know? And yeah. um, so he has this old school OC, but he's still putting up solid stats. His first year with a real offensive coordinator is 2011 with Mike Marks with a seven-step drop back with no offensive line. I, I mean, Jamarcus Webb is your left tackle. Gabe Karimi gets hurt, your first round pick at right. And he plays 10 games. He's on pace for like 4,600 yards. At that point in the year, he had 13 touchdowns, seven picks. So about a two to one ratio, which is very good. And he was in MVP conversations that year. That was the year that he breaks his thumb uh, against the Chargers, I believe. And when you saw, I mean, it was just like, 
going from a 90s offense in Ron Turner to a real OC, and, and he had people critiqued him as well. He had his faults, Mike Martz, but someone who knew what he was doing and elevated the whole offense's level of play with Roy Williams as his number one wide receiver. I mean, you really got to see shades of what he was doing with Mike Shanahan in Denver because you're like, wow, like this, this is what we have. The, the boot action rollouts, the, you know what I mean? The, the throwing on the run, the going to second and third and fourth read and finding the open guy. And I mean, you were just like really intrigued at that point. The second year under Mike Marks, he has real weapons at that point. Alshon Jeffrey, Brandon Marshall, very good season. That was a weird year because it seemed like defense is sort of adjusted just in general to what Mike, I mean, that was the year where like the Giants had eight sacks by halftime or something stupid against it. Like the <laughs> offensive line was just, and, and he refused to run the ball. He refused. So very odd year it was 3000 yards, 19 touchdowns, 14 picks. All in all, the offense as a whole was sort of discombobulated at that point. Um, and to, to that point, that was when they fired Mike Martz. And this is where it gets really crazy. But to that point, do you remember having any like sort of distinguished thoughts and seeing him under a second OC or or kind of what where was your mind at at that point, the 2010-2011 Jay Cutler era? Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head. Like, I was frustrated when you trade your best offensive weapon away because you can't use the you can't use the tight end because what the fuck does that mean? I, like, and see, this is. This is what I, and I know I've talked about this before, and I believe it was when the Andy Dalton signing first happened and we were fired up. And the Bears are always, as a franchise, always late to the party. 2009, you're right. They go fucking Ron Turner. We got the old school boys, but we're going to run the ball. We're going to run the rock and we're going to play with our defense. It's like, man. Fuck, are you watching the Colts? Are you watching the Saints? Pay attention to how the rules are changing in the NFL. This is when they started really relaxing the rules against yep. pass like pass interference stuff. Like they were they wanted more points in the NFL. That was the design. And, and the Bears just no, nah, we're this is Chicago Bears football. We're and, and they just they they think that because they have a good quarterback. That automatically makes them a good team, but that's not how you do it. You build around the quarterback. You don't just build, uh, you know, we need a linebacker here. We need a, you know, we need, you know, running back here. Like, no, figure out what makes the quarterback play well and build the team around that. If your offensive coordinator is like, you know what? I, I can't. Listen, Lovey, I, I can't, Jerry Angel, I can't work with, with Greg Olson. Like, I, it's just, he's not, it's not going to work. Then fucking fire his ass and find someone who can maximize the talent on your offensive team. Like, it's just, it's it's insane to me that, and it's just, it, it, that's how Jay Cutler's career just went. Yeah. And granted, did they make a smart hire with, Mike, with, with Mark Tressman at the time? It makes a ton of sense. You're getting an offensive coach who's proven that his system, you know, works at least for a year. And and they did try to get the most out of Jay Cutler. I really do believe that because they limited the amount of times that the ball was in his hand and they, they got some good weapons around him. 
But it just it, it just took too long, man. Like, because at that point, your defense is just crumbling away. Guys are starting to retire. They're getting older. They're getting slower. Like, you waited too long. You had this this perfect window where you trade for Jay Culler, where the team is good, and they just they just were again too late, too late yep. to figure it out. Yep. And and the the one thing, if you remember, Jack. They asked Jerry Angelo, it was either his first year or second year, and they were like, hey, like, you're not, like, signing receivers. You're not, you know, drafting. Like, what is sort of the philosophy? And he goes, oh, an elite quarterback will make receivers better. I think we're fine with the receiving core that we have now. And it's like, to a degree, sure, can that happen? But what quarterback in the NFL is going to make Devin Hester, Earl Bennon, and Johnny Knox better? Like, and don't get me wrong, Johnny Knox, very good number two or number three receiver. He, uh, uh, I mean, he, he's kind of what Darnell Mooney is right now, a speedster. Yeah. You get him the ball in open space, he can make you miss. Do you want him to be your number one? And Devin Hester never played receiver in his life. He was a, a cornerback and a return specialist in college. And again, they traded away Greg Olson, the best receiver on the team. I did make one mistake. So 2012 actually was the, the Mike Tice year. And I mean, guys, for, for those of you don't, who don't remember, so we had a rookie, Alshon Jeffrey, who got a ton of playing time but didn't get very many targets. And the reason why he didn't get very many targets is because Mike Tice literally drew up plays with only one route, and the only person running that route was Brandon Marshall. There were times where, like, and, and, and Brandon Marshall's route running was so good, his ability to get open was so good, is that there would be three guys defending him, and he would still, him and Jay would still find a window to, to get a completed pass. Like, it was, it was some of the most incredible plays I've ever seen in my life from one of the most predictable offenses I've ever seen in my life. Um, so 20, so, so 2012, Mike Tice was the, uh, offensive coordinator and, uh, Marinelli was the DC and he had to, like, he, he's what kept us in games because our defense was balling those couple years under Marinelli here goes into your Trestman point. So 2013 and 2014, Mark Trestman is the coach and, uh, Aaron Cromer is the offensive coordinator, but he's not calling plays. So you throw him out the window. Uh, Mark Trestman year one. This offense looks lights out. We unleash Alshon Jeffrey. This guy looks like the best receiver on the team, even though Brandon Marshall is there. Um, another super unfortunate injury that year, Jay Cutler gets a high ankle sprain. And to that point, he's on pace for like 4,200 yards. He had 2,600 yards on the season, 19 touchdowns, 12 picks, misses the last like, or he misses five games and comes back the last game to lo- heartbreakingly lose to the Packers. Do you remember the Chris Conti uh mishap at the end yep yeah um and again it shows you because to your point mark Tressman, at least in year one very good you're like this guy can fucking play with a good play caller like you get this guy weapons you get this guy some balance on offense he is a really good quarterback and that was just more proof of that um and then year uh, 2014 the second well no but before we get there 2013 they are the second ranked offense in the league by every, like almost every, I mean, they, they are lights out and they have the 30th defense in the league. So it's like, well, if you can't, you know, you, you fucking, you just can't win for losing here. This guy's balling well, and, and him and the offense, because when he was out, um, Josh McCown played very well as well in the system. So like this offense is very good and the defense just can't stop a nosebleed shout to, uh, to, to Bart Scott. Um, then you get into 2014 and this is the year he looks really good again. They're, they're ranked like eighth offensively, and the defense is 31st this year. And he has 28 touchdowns. He has 18 picks. He has 3,800 yards passing. 
And what does Mark Trestman do to try to save his job and to just give, you know, they're, they're, they're five and 10 at that point or something. And he's like, I just want to show you guys that this is work. He puts in Jimmy Pickles and the offense looks like complete shit. Cause Jay's not there. And we miss out on having the first 4,000 yard thrower in our lifetime because of that. You know, I get, the season's lost, man. Let this guy get his stats. You know what I mean? Like he played very well that year to the whole offense did. You know, if first predictable and all the bubble screens that Mark Trestman liked to throw, they were still playing very well. Um, but the defense just wasn't up to snuff. That's the end of the Mark Trestman era. There was two seasons. That's it. They're gone. Where were you at as a Bears fan at the end of the Mark Trestman era? <laughs> done. I mean, just 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 done at that point. Like, it was. It, I I feel bad for for Bears fans who didn't get to experience that because it was. By far one of the weirdest fucking. I mean, you got you got fucking Lance Briggs, one of the all-time Bears greats, fucking missing out on off-season stuff because he's busy opening his restaurant because he just doesn't respect the head coach. Like he just doesn't care. Um, because I mean, yeah, he could, he could call an offense and that's great, but he just had zero command on on a yep. on a locker room on an NFL locker room. He's coming from Canada. Guys already players know. Right, play, players know who the who the legit coaches are in the NFL, and Mark Tressman, yeah, like I said, can he call an offense? Sure, but can he win games? And obviously, he proved that that's just not the case. And yeah, I mean, he had some legit weapons. I I thought getting Brandon Marshall was just, I mean, that that was a great move. Um, just reuniting Jay Cutler with a reliable guy, a guy he knows he can count on, drafting Alshon Jeffrey. I think Jel- Alshon ended up being kind of like a hidden gem because a lot of guys thought he was too fat. He couldn't play anymore. Like he was at, out of South Carolina. They they haven't really produced wide receivers. Teams pass on him. He falls to the second. Bears get, a, get a starting receiver. Like that's the stuff that bothers me. It's like they started to kind of figure it out. They have Matt Forte, who's just an all-world running back. And then they just kind of fell apart. And and again, they just kind of waited just a little too long to really kind of put some things together on the offensive side of the ball. Um, you know, they tried to course correct. Well, we've had defense as the main focus with Lovey for all these years. Let's go and get an offensive coach. Um, you know, obviously the, the very now infamous mock press conferences of choosing fucking Mark Trussman over Bruce Arians. I, yep. I still will never really understand that, how that happened, especially coming off a season where the Colts head coach, now the Bears ex defensive coordinator literally misses almost an entire season with cancer. Bruce Arians steps in. Andrew Luck produces one of the best rookie seasons of all time statistic like statistically wins and losses they won 11 games Bruce Arians just stepped in did the damn thing he won coach of the year he did win coach of the year and he wasn't even the head coach of the team and you see he has all the experience with Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers offense experience with Peyton Manning like the dude has been around and they go with the guy from Canada 
Yeah. Come on, man. And well, and the thing that was most bothersome about that is that Bruce Arians publicly said he wanted to be the Chicago Bears coach yep. and how much he loved Jay and how much he can help him. And he see like he's watched the film. It's only minor things that we can work mechanically, but he's got it. Like he's like he thought he got the job, I think. I legitimately think he thought he was getting because it was like, why the fuck don't you guys want me? Did you see what I just did last season? Yeah. Yep. And it was I mean, so that that's where I was at with it as well. But specifically in concerns to Jay, um, it was like confirmation for me again. I'm like, I saw what this guy did before getting hurt in a real offensive system with Mike Martz. Now I just saw the last two years in another offensive system, him put up these numbers. And I'm like, this is a shoe in get, get this guy a real offensive mind. And we're working with something. Now at that point you have to fix the defense. Mel Tucker was, I didn't think anyone would be worse than Bob Babich as a defensive coordinator here in Chicago, but God damn it. Mel Tucker was 10 times worse. And I have no idea how we, I, I mean, the most bland, like man defense, no blitzes. It, it, it was pitiful. Um, but anyway, so then you get into the John Fox era in which the first year Adam Gase is calling the plays. And this is at a time where leagues haven't necessarily figured out Adam Gase just yet because that offense was solid. And, and again, it was sort of confirmation. Like, And the thing to, to Adam Gase's credit, he got Jay to turn the ball over a lot less. He ran the ball a little bit more. And he gave he, he drew up plays in which it was like, Jay, if you don't got it, literally either run or throw it away. This is a one-read play. <laughs> Yeah. And but 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 thing was the the fact that he was able to maybe neuters too strong of a word but contain a gunslinger in that manner I was like okay this sort of shows me that Jay can follow a game plan here he managed games more than gunslinger but there were a few games that year still where he looked like he was ready to you know he he did some things and won them some games but that year 2015 and a really bad year I think they won six games 3700 yards 21 touchdowns 11 picks and this is like a neuter Jay Cutler so you're like man. This guy still got a little something here. Yeah. We knew Adam Gase was gone. I, w w when this coaching staff got put together, it was John Fox, Vic Fangio, Adam Gase. Immediately when it came together, talking heads around the league are like, this may be the best coaching staff in the league from top to bottom. Like, th this is an amazing coaching staff. Well, they win a lot of games, probably not because there's not that much talent. Like, they're just talent depleted. But the coaching staff is going to keep them in games. That's exactly what happened. Gase leaves. Dow Loggins comes in. You really didn't get anything after that because Jay gets hurt. He comes back for that one huge game against Minnesota. We're like 0-5. Jay comes back, and he, like, the, the guy, like, after the game, guys are like, dude, we've never seen this side of Jay Cutler before. Like, he just came and, like, screamed at all of us and told us, like, we're turning this fucking season around. And he had, like, 400 yards and four touchdowns against Minnesota, who at that point was undefeated. Uh, and that was just like, I and mean, that's one of the better Jay Cutler memories. Um going into, you know, are, are just kind of looking back at his Bears career. Um, but again, it just showed me like, to, to your point, maybe I'm going too far on the ledge saying, hey, this guy you can win with because look what look at what he's done with real offensive talent and with real offensive play callers. Maybe I'm going too far with that. But if I'm going too far with that and I slide back, I think I only arrived to what you said and that he's gotten too much, like way too much blame for shit that was organizational Versus yeah. like, what was a Jay Cutler problem? And that goes to my point. Like, that's my overarching point. There's only a couple of franchises that do this with Jay Cutler. With, with not just Jay, forget the name Jay Cutler. With someone as with this type of talent, 
How did yeah. you not elevate this guy? How did you not surround him with talent? To You know what I mean? Like, I've never seen someone this talented be failed this much by an NFL franchise. It's almost sickening what the Bears have done to, to, to a talent that great. Yeah, and, and to your point, I, it's a really interesting thing. Like, I think I think for Jay, um, really when it comes to his stats, like you and I could look at this stuff right now and, and understand the context of it and really get, okay, well, you know, he threw – you know, in 15 games in 2012, he threw for 3,000 yards, 19 touchdowns, 14 picks. But we understand, you and I can understand the context of that. Bears fans yeah. can understand the context of that. It's not as simple as saying, well, he only threw 3,000 yards. Like, it's, you know, other fans around the league who don't know what was going on with fucking Mike Tice as the offensive coordinator. Like, they're not going to get that. And, and you're right, 2015, there was that thing there was the the thought that it was the best offense, you know, best coaching staff in the league. Um, but the whole thing with John Fox, why it was exciting that he was hired was basically he was bringing everyone over from Denver. Every, yeah. like, the defensive yep. coordinator, the offensive coordinator, Peyton Manning was there, like all this good stuff. You know, obviously he had a lot of, uh, you know, he had a lot of goodwill from Peyton Manning. That says a lot at the time, of course. Um, but John Fox's whole thing was, where he goes, they win. Panthers, quick turnaround with John Fox as the head coach. They become one of the better franchises, yep. or at least more stable franchises, and and you know they win games. Then you go, then he goes to Denver. Instantly contenders for Super Bowls, left and right. Like you know it's there. And and the hope was in 2015 that he would be able to shore up some of those things. Vic Fangio would kind of be able to you know implement some of the defense the way that Mel T- Tucker never could. And there's some hope that with Jay, like, this team could be good. And it just, John Fox became a weirdo when he came to Chicago. I don't know what the fuck happened there. That's a conversation for another day. Like, he, it just did not click with him in Chicago. Um, And, yeah, you're right. 2016 comes. There's there's not a whole lot of hope there. They're they're obviously rebuilding. Um, And it's almost interesting, Frank. It's, It's almost like... It took for the Bears to get Trubisky and and have that giant miss for the conversation to finally change into shit. Maybe it was the organization that fucking sucks and it yep. wasn't Jay Cutler's fault completely. Like this is what the organization does. They just they can't they can't maximize their their team, their roster. They can't do it. And, and you're right, Jay Cutler. Do I think he's one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time? No, no. Do I think he's a starter in the NFL? Yeah, absolutely. Like, there's a lot of teams that probably win Super Bowl. Like, that 49ers team, Frank, a couple of years ago, with Jay Cutler behind the wheel instead of Jimmy G against the against the Chiefs? And we saw him game. in that exact offense. Yeah, they they put that they put the Chiefs away. Well, the, the the 49ers were up what 20 to 10 in the fourth quarter. Like I think it's a little bit different of a story when you have teams like that with Jay Cutler behind the wheel. I don't think there's a whole lot of difference between Jay Cut like in my opinion, I think Jay Cutler is a better quarterback than Joe Flacco was even. If I'm being completely honest with you, like, I agree. I agree. Jay Cutler was a legit NFL starter and the Bears just they fucked around. They made him look like an asshole. Yep. I mean, we, we talk, you, you've been talking a lot about 
you know, their offensive weapons, the offensive coordinator, play callers, this and that. But you got to remember, too, one of the biggest things was the offensive line was just so bad. They just couldn't draft offensive linemen. Gabe Karimi was their first round pick. He did nothing for them. Well, he, he, he got hurt. If you remember, he tore his ACL in the, in the very first week. He did. He did. And that's true. And and you can't always blame injuries on, you know, Kevin White, I think is a, is a good example. Right. Like you, do, you, you can't predict that stuff. But they just they, they, they just didn't. They just thought and, and, and you kind of proved my point there with that quote. They thought we have the quarterback. That's enough. Let's focus on other yep. areas. And it's just well, that's, that's not how you believe. Yeah. Well, to, you... to, it's it's not. And to add to that point, though, Jack, to show you how dis, I don't, it wasn't dysfunctional, how inept the organization was, their plan, because before Mike Tice was the offensive coordinator, he was the, the O-line coach for, I think, three years, two, three years. And their plan was, no, we don't like we're going to keep starting seventh round pick Jamarcus Webb. Because Mike Tice can turn him around. We're like he's going to be the guy to develop people. That's what he does. And it's just like, no, get talent at these positions and let them develop actual talent. Like you don't, you don't start seventh round picks unless they've absolutely earned it. Not, you know, shout out to my seventh round picks. I, I don't mean anything by that. What I'm saying is this guy was clearly very bad, and they just kept going with him because they just had this thought that Mike Tice was a miracle worker and was going to turn this guy's career around. And it wasn't just Jamarcus Webb; it was the whole offensive line. He's going to get them right. They're going to gel together. And he kept pushing that rhetoric too. By week seven and week eight, just you wait. They're all going to be on the same page. And they weren't because they were bad. They just didn't have the talent. Like you have to get talent in. It's just not how this works. It's, it's you know, it's asinine. I do really quick want to go down the list. And I want your thoughts on this as well. Because this seems to be a national, what it used to be. Obviously, Jay's not in the headlines anymore. But he he just gets his offensive coordinators fired. And, and you know, like, what good quarterback does that? And so here here's the list of his offensive coordinators. One is Ron Turner for two seasons. Um, I'm sorry, one, one season. Um, and he hadn't coached for, I think, six years at any level before he, he comes back as an OC with the Bears. And then he goes to be for two years a quarterback coach at Indy and then a head coach at Florida International University. Mike Martz, coming to the Bears, he's coming off a lion stint that was really bad. We gave him a chance, and we actually looked really good with him. After that, no one wants to re-sign him. When no one signs him, he, he coaches the AAF in, in, in 2019. Mike Tice, after his one year as an offensive coordinator with the Bears, he goes back to being an offensive line coach for four years before he retires. Tressman, we all know Tressman, year two, he gets figured out and that's it. He's done. He goes on to be an offensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens and leads the 21st and 25th offenses respectively in his two years there. Adam Gase, we know his story. He, he, he did very well in Denver. He did very well with Chicago. He did okay in Miami and then ever, everything else was really bad. But he, he, he got a promotion off of a Jay Cutler really good year. Like he used, that was a resume builder for him. Uh, Dow Loggins just followed Adam Gase anywhere. He never really called plays. He wasn't really an offensive coordinator. He just was a quarterback's coach with an offensive coordinator's uh, title. So I just listed you off guys who, if Jay was getting these guys fired, wouldn't they have gotten jobs elsewhere as an OC, as a head coach, kept progressing throughout their careers? Because that's what the NFL does. They just keep churning out 70-year-old white men year after year. 
These guys were really bad at their jobs. He didn't get yeah. anybody fired. They got themselves fired. They kept trying to find new offensive coordinators because the ones they had fucking sucked. Like this narrative of, oh, Jay got them fired. No, they were really bad. Like, yeah. they have no resume after leaving Chicago. And, and I mean, like, th- there's recent proof. I mean, you got Adam Gase, who goes to Miami to be the head coach, and the whole hope is, though, you know, he turns Ryan Tannehill into a legit starter. And, you know, Ryan Tannehill is almost out of, out of the fucking league. He goes to Tennessee, boom, with a legit offensive coordinator in Arthur Smith. And now he's one of the most efficient quarterbacks, one of the best quarterbacks in the league, at least top 10. Like He's you, a top you 10. That, it, but yeah. I don't mean to interject. If anyone, no, no, thinks, if anyone thinks that's a hot take, you are stupid. Ryan Tannehill the last two years has been a top 10 quarterback. Yeah, just just literally look. Look at the stats. Look, yeah. and, and you can say, well, he's got good weapons. Well, yeah, that's because that's what quarterbacks do. They maximize their weapons. Like, the fuck are we talking about here? Like, Jay Cutler it, it just didn't have a chance. And and I'm, I'm happy that people have seen, you know, saw how he played in, in Miami for a little bit. Like, they were like, damn, he, he's kind of still got it. He wasn't old. I mean, we've seen older quarterbacks than 34-year-old quarterbacks go through the NFL and still succeed. Like, Matt Ryan's coming up on that age. Um, you know, some of the – Brady is, like, fucking 300 years old. Like, it can happen. I, I just think what the Bears did to Jay Cutler was they scapegoated him, and they made people think that he was the problem. And the way that the media covered him, and, and I'm not a, I'm not a, you know, media is evil type person, of course, but you know, I thought they were sometimes a little over, un, unfairly critical of, of Jay Cutler and putting everything at his feet. However, I will, I will say that there were times where I did wish that the leadership thing. I do think that's real. I do think the leadership thing was an issue because the Bears didn't have that on offense a lot of you know an outspoken guy they needed someone other than mark tressman to keep brandon marshall in check and jay cutler was supposed to be that and and he just didn't so i do think there's some fair criticism i do as well and and i think that portion played into how polarizing jay actually was because people didn't speak of him as a leader his teammates all negatively it was either they really liked him or they were just like yeah this guy just isn't a leader like but the one thing people they never question is talent like you hear these yeah. guys talk like Devin Hester talked about it and he played with Matt Ryan he played with a couple of the quarterbacks and he was like Jay threw the best ball like his his and because no one can question his arm skills there, there isn't a throw that he couldn't make you know what I mean like he the, the deep ball was there the intermediate, yeah. the short, he could make the throws. It, it was sometimes he felt a little disconnected. And I think the leadership part was big, but then you had guys, you know, that would criticize him and say, yeah, like Lance Briggs has gone out and he he sort of says the same thing. He's like, yeah, you know, great talent, but we needed more leadership on that offense. And, and it just didn't, it, it, it wasn't him. He wasn't a leader. He was an introvert and it was, he was sort of awkward. He sometimes wouldn't talk to people again. Some of that, I think it gets chalked up, I, you know, to, to probably the diabetes thing probably him being an introvert but at the quarterback position this is me taking the cape off you can't I mean you're the leader of the team like you have to be able to take command and that was why that year in 2016 when he did that everyone was like holy shit like what is going on here like this guy's never done this before and and something else too and and Frank maybe you know I, I 
admittedly, I wasn't as dialed into the team as I am now, but I have, I was, I was paying attention more so in 2012 moving on. Um, everyone who was saying that Jay Cutler is this guy getting all these offensive coordinators fired and he's a you know bad teammate, bad, you know, he's just whatever. Am, am I missing something? I didn't feel like he had that much power in the organization. Like it's not, it's not the same as Peyton Manning. It's not the same as Drew Brees, Tom Brady, um, uh, you know, Andrew Luck, even to, to a certain extent, like, I mean, they've, the, the Colts have talked about it a bunch where it's like Andrew Luck was a guy that people wanted him to be more insertive about what he wanted, like what he could get in the offense, things like that. But to me, it's not, you know, Jake Huller was never Aaron Rodgers. He wasn't walking around right. fucking Hallis Hall saying, you know, walking into GM's offices and being like, this is who I want on the team. Get them for me. I, I think Jay was much more passive when it came yep. to just kind of like, I'll play with whoever you get me. Like I, I I'll, that, and I, I'm not, you know, I'll do my best. Like, I mean, they were signing backups left and right. And I, I really didn't think it had anything to do with Jay Cutler. I, I don't think he was, I can't work with Mike Tice. I can't work with, uh, you know, Mike Martz. I can't work with, with, uh, with, uh, Mark Trestman. Like he wasn't doing that. I, I never heard anything like that. I haven't seen anything like that. So this narrative that he's getting these guys fired by playing bad. Well, there's a lot of bad players on the bears that isn't just him. Like I, I just, I didn't understand that. I've never it was, understood. It was very strange. I, I, I never quite understood it either because I, again, and back then one of my biggest talking points when I would talk NFL was like, I hated the national broadcast. I like the local guys cause they get the context. They understand yeah. And they can have their gripes with J2, and that's fine. But you're not just regurgitating the same talking. It was the same shit like we were in 2019, and people were still talking about how John Lester can't throw to first. And it's like, dude, Joe Buck, give it up, man. Like, we know. You've been saying this since 2012. And it's the same stuff with the NFL. They sort of regurgitate stuff. And it's not their fault. I don't put the blame on them. They can't follow every team, but they have to cover every team. You know what I mean? So they kind of stick with those little things. Um, And... I think one of the uh, I don't even know I don't even know how, how I want to word it. I think to I guess to round out that point of you know he never complained he ne- like I never understood the whole oh he's like a crybaby thing because like <laughs> he wasn't like leaking to the media saying yeah like Devin Hester sucks he shouldn't be a receiver or like Johnny Knox can't be my number one or like. Yeah, like, you know, Brandon Marshall's bad for the locker room. Like, he didn't say any – he didn't, never did – We saw, I mean, the, the one of the points that I wanted to, to reiterate that you made earlier in the podcast is just how tough this guy was. So when people question his toughness because he misses a second half on a grade two MCL sprain, one of the biggest pundits who was talking about how, you know, uh, you'd have to cart me off the field and, and like, are you kidding? You'd have to, like – I'd be fighting, I'd be fist fighting my coaches was Maurice Jones-Drew running back for the Jaguars then. And he missed the last three games of the season prior with the same exact injury when his team was in the playoff hunt. And he's going on Twitter tweeting, I, you have to, dra- did they drag you off the field for the last three games for that same injury? Because he just missed a half. Who knows if we win that game, who knows if he plays the next week? He just missed a half of football. You missed three games and let your team down. 
And I say that, I, I don't mean to be insensitive towards an injury, but with your rhetoric, you're saying you can play through that. So if you can play through that, you let your team down. Point blank, yeah. period. I'm using your words. And, and, and the coverage of of the, the MCL thing was just shameful, if I'm being completely honest with you. Like, the, 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 the broadcast provided absolutely zero insight into yeah. what might be happening. Like, I understand that they don't have the medical information real time. They don't get that. That's not how it works. But, like... The fact that they just let it go on for so long, they, they, you know, they keep showing him, you know, riding the medical bike. They keep showing this and that. Um, it's just, you, you got to provide some context. You, you yep. have to, because it's not just Bears fans watching the game. It's, it's everyone. That was the NFC yep. title game. Like everyone's watching that. You have to provide context for what's going on. And, you know, it's it, that type of stuff. It's so weird to me that Philip Rivers is like this fucking beloved quarterback and he acted like the biggest fucking baby in the entire world. Yep. And this is me saying this as a Colts fan. Like I, I didn't love the signing at all. You know, this. we talked yep. about it last year, yep. like Philip Rivers to me was just a gigantic baby who just threw fucking temper tantrums, but he got like, got, people loved it because of the way he fucking talked and wore bolo ties. Like, that, to me, I never understood why guys like that got respect in the NFL. But Jay Cutler, because he didn't do that, he didn't walk around throwing fucking shit on the sidelines. Like, that gets respect. I, I just don't get it. Like, I just yeah. don't understand. It was you know strange. What I mean? And then, so with, with, with that injury, too, the context was, well, the, the, the narrative they tried to spin was that the second he had gotten hurt, he was checked out, he was ready to go. But he actually heard it in the middle of the second quarter and played the rest of that quarter. And you can yeah. see as that quarter had went on, I, there was a play. If my memory serves me correct, it was like at the very end of the half. And he tries to make a third down throw and he underthrows like a eight yard route by like four. He had no, he couldn't put any pressure on the knee. Like it was just, he couldn't do it. Like this came out, someone did like a little film study after the game. It was like, oh, like, look, like it, it was really bad he couldn't put pressure he couldn't like drive off of it and that was his back foot like you need had it been the front foot he may have been all right but it was his right leg and he just couldn't do anything and the broadcast didn't seem to care about that they just wanted to continue on with like the narrative was like oh as soon as it was adversity and that's the furthest thing from the truth do you remember that game against the the falcons where he came out really slow looked really bad they sent the middle linebacker blitz and this dude just gets his helmet right in his uh, like in, in his stomach, knocks the wind out of him, and you're like, shit, Jay's down. Like, here goes another few gay. Like, is it a broken rib? And then he comes back and has like one of the best games of his career. Through like 350, 350 yards, four tutties, maybe a pick. But like, we've seen this guy. You, you you think of like him rolling out and diving for the end zone, helicopter against the lot. Like, his teammates never doubted his toughness. What what yeah. was there? What what was there something you know? To be desired from a leadership standpoint, absolutely. Uh, you, you know, you hear some things from from his teammates, and you're inclined to agree with them. You know, you're inclined to be like you, you you're you're correct. You were there. You you know, you saw that. No one ever, none of his teammates ever called him a pussy. You know what I mean? Like none of his teammates ever said like this guy checks out a game. They never questioned anything like that. They never questioned the talent. They never questioned the heart, the toughness. It was just the leadership stuff that. You know, maybe could yeah. have had players perform a little bit better for him or or but it's like at the same time on the flip side of that, it just kind of goes into how polarizing he was because 
how long would it took a fucking bullet for that guy? You know what I mean? Like there, there were certain players that like Brandon Marshall as well. He would have took a, but like they loved him. So it's like, it's one of those things that, you know, should you be able to, in, in that sort of position, inspire more than maybe half, we'll, we'll just say it's half and half just for the sake of argument, half the locker room. Yeah, you should, but you couldn't. But it's like, I think it also just goes to the enigma that is Jay. Like you either hated yeah. him or you loved him. And, 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 I don't think none of the teammates necessarily hated him, but from the standpoint of there, it's like you either loved that leadership style or you hated that leadership style that he had. And and it just was just who yeah. he was. Yeah. And and again, I think I think this goes back to basically, you know, our our, our mantra for this podcast, which is all about context. Like Yep. Like like I was saying, you can look at those stats on 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 football reference and be like, man, Jay Cutler really didn't have as good of a career as I thought. And it's like, nah, dude, like you gotta, you gotta go back and really dig, dig into it. Who were his offensive coordinators understanding the franchise he's in talent was there. And it's kind of funny. Like he was a gunslinger, like Brett Favre. That was one of the things about him that everyone in the NFL agreed on. He was like Brett Favre. And it's like, it's almost like Jay was, the the Brett Favre version that didn't succeed, right? Yep. Like the the one that just couldn't stay healthy, didn't have a great organization around him, didn't have the best weapons, didn't have an offensive line. Like it, it's almost like he's the polar opposite of, of of Drew Brees in terms of just play style. Like they played the same, but it's just like if a few more interceptions didn't go, or you know, a few more touchdowns didn't go Brett Favre's way, that's Jay Cutler. Like, that's him, right? And obviously the personality is definitely a little bit different. Um, and yeah, I, I I don't blame Jay Cutler for, for, and I think this has come with age. It's come with just experiencing the Bears as, a, as an organization. And I, I really do think that the Mitch Trubisky thing, I think it does help Jay Cutler in the long run. Oh, the 100%. Because, because people see what this organization's all about and how they operate and how they do things. It, it makes him look better. It makes look, it makes it look like what he was able to do with that team, take them to the NFC championship, you know, work with all these different play callers and, and, you know, maybe not the best weapons. And then he did succeed with weapons. It makes it more impressive if I'm being completely honest with you. Well, that's, but again, that's the whole, Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I, and, and this is this is going to wrap it up for me. Again, I, I know there are going to be people who are listening to this who are Bears fans who are like, nah, man, fuck Jay Cutler. And, like, I, I get it to a degree because he wasn't the best leader. He didn't always have the best attitude um, on the field, uh, you know, on the sidelines, whatever. It's You know, that's personal preference at that point. I, I just don't think people who, who – say that Jay Cutler isn't the best Bears quarterback of all time is that you just, you're trying, you're trying to, to lie to yourself and just not admit what he actually was. And I, I think that's, that's kind of frustrating in itself. But that, to, to that point though, the fact that he is shows you how bad this organization has been. Exactly. For, for so many years. And then that's not a knock against Jay, you know, he got injured in years where he was balling. Like his, his, he should have had better stats. If he stays healthy, his stats are are like I mean, they're already there's a four thousand above everybody. Yeah. 
Yeah. There, there's there's a few of them. There's there's actually probably a handful of them if he stays healthy uh, and plays all 16 games. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, I, I I don't think I don't think my take is that wild. Like I, I I think if he stays in Denver, we look at him in a totally different light. I, I think if he if if you know he goes somewhere. I mean, if if he's you know maybe he sticks around with Denver, they don't resign him or they trade him, and he goes to Pete Carroll and they don't draft Russell Wilson. I think we look at him in a totally different light. Like if he has, uh, if he's with an organization that knows what they're doing, because what I'm saying is forget Jay. They could have had anyone in those situations and they do not succeed. The organization has been inept for so long. I mean, you throw Dan Marino there, you throw Aaron Rod, throw, throw goats in there and they don't do, they look probably very similar to what Jay did. Now, are, are these guys better than him? Yeah, maybe so they marginally look better. I, like pe- someone's going to take that and like throw some antics like, oh my God, I can't believe you said air. You get my point. For Forget the names. I, I'm, I'm making a point here, an overall point. No one succeeds with what he had to deal with, you know, through in, in his tenure in in Chicago. And it's it's just insane to me that people can't reflect and, and, and you know, realize that it was an organization-wide thing here. You know, because what I used to always tell people is, and this is really my, my last thing is like, I don't mind the interceptions. That, that's what gunslingers do. I, and it's not that like, I, I would get pissed and throw something or like, fuck Jay, what are you, why are you throwing in double coverage? But I accept that this is who he is. He's a gunslinger. Right. He didn't throw some picks. If you're expecting Jay to not throw picks, you're, 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 you're going into games with a fucked up mindset. My issue with him was his fumbling issue in the pocket. That was my yeah. biggest thing with him with turning the ball over is you cannot fumble the ball in the pocket the way that he did. That was my well, biggest. That was the one thing I would not accept. That was something I needed him to clean up and he just never did. Yeah. And I mean, like, again, Trubisky in hindsight, making Jay look better. Like how many, how many people have said, well, if Jay is on that 2018 Bears team, they win this, they, they win, you know, they beat the Eagles at the very least. Who knows? Maybe they do win the Super Bowl, but it's like. You're right. When it comes to the interceptions, yeah, they're they're annoying. There were too many of them. Yada yada yep. yada. Yep. But I think it goes to show that mental fortitude that he really had. To the D'Angelo Hall game is a perfect example. Do you really think Mitch Trubisky would have ever thrown four interceptions on purpose? Like like just just attacking the same guy? Like no, Mitch throws one pick and he's fucking done. Like he's is he doesn't have the mental fortitude to deal with something like that. And I think, again, I think that goes to show what type of player Jay really was. So, um, yeah, I, I agree with your point as well. There aren't a lot of quarterbacks in that situation uh, that make that Bears team a, a lot better than than Jay was able to do. And I, I think, look at Denver, man. Like, if it's not for the absolutely incredible luck of, of being able to get Peyton Manning, one of the all-time greatest quarterbacks, where are they at quarterback? Like Jay Cutler is by far the best quarterback they've drafted in the last, you know, two decades. Right. I mean, seriously, like who, who else are you putting at Drew Locke, you know, Osweiler, like who, who are you putting yeah. in that category? It's like they, if they keep Jay Cutler, they're, they're probably better. Right. But I mean, obviously they lucked out and got, like I said, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And in, in a situation that almost never happens, like it's, yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah. So I was I, trying to. I wanted to end the episode. I, I was. I couldn't find it because the one thing that I love, like, some people hated his post game interviews. I fucking found them to be hysterical. I, I absolutely <laughs> like the little bit of snark. 
little bit of like, you know, if you ask me a stupid question, I'm going to give you a stupid answer. And one of the, one of the best ones was they asked him, they were like, Jay, you know, you threw that pick in the third quarter. Um, you know, I, I, I just wanted to know what you saw out there. And he's like, well, I saw my receiver. So I threw it. And they were like, Oh, like, did you, did you think he was open? And he's like, if I didn't think he was open, I wouldn't have threw it. And he's like, next question. And they kept like, it was like little shit like that. It's like, I love that. Like, yes, I yeah. thought I could make that throw. I, I saw it. I threw it again. The, the double, triple coverage things where it's like, yeah, what the fuck did you see out there? The mind boggling throws there, there were those, but there were certain times where it was just like, that wasn't a bad throw. The defender just made a really good play on it. Like he, yeah. he he's, you know, he, that was the one thing that defenses would always tell you. Jay's going to give you a chance and we're going to bait him to make those throws, but he made the throws more times than not. He connected on those throws, but it was that one or two that the defender made a really had a really good break or anticipated it a little bit more than the receiver did and baited him to throwing it, and he did it. But it was like everyone talks about the times he threw the picks, but they don't talk about the time he slices up Seattle in, in, in the, the wild card round and, right. and just beats the living shit out of them and, and makes every throw pot. Like he made more throws than he missed. Yeah. You know, it's like when you look back and you, and you look at the highlight reel and you go through games and like, and I challenge anyone to do that now. If you were super down on Jay, like, yeah, he was terrible, go back and watch. And just re- you'll, you'll be able to, to start remembering some of the incredible plays that this guy has had in a Bears uniform. And I think you'll be able to see, because you didn't see it real time. I don't, I don't think you maybe you didn't want to believe it or you were just so down that it didn't matter. He had a lot more ups than downs, all things considered, in a Bears uniform. Yeah. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's uh, that's honestly a really good place to end this uh, this edition of the Corked Up podcast. Um, you know, I, th- I think this episode was a lot of fun for me, Frank. I know it was. Um, I hope this was uh, therapeutic for you. I know you've been wanting to do this episode uh, for, for quite some time here. Um, so hopefully, you know, you feel good on, on finally being able to get some of the stuff off your chest. I do. I, I, I actually feel really good. And it's just because it's like, it's not that I'm a Jay fan. Like I, I liked Jay. I, I thought he was a really good quarterback. I thought he had the potential to be a top five quarterback with the talent that he had. It, it was, it, it comes more from my annoyance and anger at how bad the organization was with someone with that type of talent. Cause it's like, people act like I, I didn't follow Jay like that in Denver. I just, was like, okay, we got a really good quarterback. And it wasn't like I loved him in, in college and he came out. And I've been following him. It wasn't a fanboy type of thing. I saw the talent that was there and I saw an organization do everything that they could to put roadblocks <laughs> in front of this guy, you know, yeah. like, and, but it goes back to, I mean, I, I, I honestly, not that I'm thinking about it. I know he said, we're going to end it. So I'll end it here. That's where I think I got the, 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 the feeling of with Mitch. It's like, just show me that he's bad, man. I yeah. can't have another thing where it's like, is half the fan base going to think he's good Is the other half. No, let take the leash off and show me what this guy got. Cause I just yeah. got through a whole eight, nine year career of someone who just got, you know, steamrolled by an organization. And it left you with like, what the fuck did we really just have here? Like, did we have yeah. one of the best quarterbacks in the league or, or was he just average? Like his stats showed you that he was, you know what I mean? It was like, I don't want that again. I want to be for certain with, with, with what we have here before we move on. And I think we were, which was a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I totally agree with you. I think, um, you know, it's, it's better to know. It just, just, yep. just tell us, like, give us proof that he's bad and we'll deal with it at that point. But, um, yep. yeah. And another thing, yeah. 2014. <laughs> well, you know, maybe, maybe we'll be talking, you know, hopefully 
we won't ever have these conversations about Justin Fields because he's going to be the greatest of all time, and it's not even going to be debatable. We're, we're all going to agree on Justin Fields, and, you know, Packers fans are going to be fucking pissy with us because, you know, oh, and that's another thing we got to talk about, Frank. Next week, maybe we'll get into it a little bit more, the, the deteriorating relationship between Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Oh, where, man. You know, the Packers are calling him a, a, a strange guy, a difficult guy, and, uh, you know, we got people out here saying that the Packers fans are the ones who are, you know, really, you know, getting the worst of – fuck that. Packers yeah. fans, listen, as a Colts fan, I understand how fucking spoiled you have been when it comes to the play of the quarterback position. So I don't want to hear the Packers fans are, are, you know, it's unfortunate for them. Get over it. Get over yeah. it. All right. It's ridiculous. I've had enough. Ridiculous. I've had enough. But uh, I appreciate this time today with you as always. It's always great getting a chance to speak with you about the Bears and you know, maybe we'll do a little more of that next week. Um, we appreciate you guys listening as always. Uh, of course, follow us on, you know, wherever, Twitter, Instagram. Frank has us a million different places, and we always appreciate you guys listening. So uh, until next week, we're out of here, Frankie. I'll talk Absolutely. to you then. Jackie, it has been an absolute pleasure, man. Looking forward to it. There, there is a chance that next week is another NBA episode. The series may be wrapped up at that point, round two. So, uh we can we we might be able to get into that, get some predictions going. I'll see what Nas is doing. If not, we're manning the ship by ourselves. <laughs> it's a scary thought, but uh I guess we'll figure it out then. All right, Frankie. I'll talk Later, to you next Jackie. week. Thanks for listening, guys.